Yeah, so as I mentioned, uh, we've been thinking through uh, the last couple of weeks about what the Bible teaches about uh, men and women. And as elders, we're taking four weeks to go through uh, a series of classes, and, and the elders are teaching them because we think that there's, there's a lot that, um, and it's evident that the culture is really trying to blur the lines between uh, what, what men and, and women are and are about and, and the roles that they have. And so many of the ideas that we've been talking about in this class are becoming increasingly unpopular, even as we've seen this past week. Um, and so you can look in your handouts, um, and you, we have a definition of masculinity and femininity there from, your, from uh, Piper and Grudem's Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. I'm not going to read those, but two other def- definitions that Garrett hit on last week that I want to go over real quick are complementarianism and egalitarianism. So complementarianism affirms God created man and women with equal dignity and worth and designed them with distinct roles and responsibilities in the home, in the church, and in society. And they are, those, those distinct roles and responsibilities are rooted in God's design and creation. They're not rooted in sin or mere social customs. So that's complementarianism. That's, that's what we would hold to at, the, at, the, at Delray Baptist Church. And egalitarianism affirms that God created man and woman with equal dignity and worth, but also with the same roles and responsibilities. They believe that the fall corrupted God's good and original design, and so the different roles result from the fall rather than God's order of creation. So today we're going to narrow down a little bit from what Garrett and and John have been talking about over the last two weeks, and we're going to look at at masculinity, manhood and womanhood within, within the home. And there's going to be some of you in, 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 in here today that are going to, that are, they're going to need to change with, with, with God's help. And there's other that are just going to feel that desire to, to really kick against what, what some of the things that, that we're talking about. Um, so I'd just encourage you to, to, uh, to allow God's Word and the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to work in you um, as we consider some of these things. And then finally, I just want to highlight that... Um, a lot of the, what we're going to be talking about in here today is going to be seem very marriage-centric. Um, and it's, it's just the case that when the Bible talks about masculinity and femininity in the context of the home, it does so in the context of marriage. So if you're single, I hope that doesn't mean you just, you're just going to check out for the next hour or so. But use this class um, and, and, and the information that we talked to for, for, a number of, for a couple of different areas. So, so first, some of you desire to be married. And please know and hear that the elders um, are praying for you in this. There's others in the church that are praying for you um, in, in that. It's important to think about these things that we're talking about um, now. Before, you know, so it'd be a, it'd be a shame to talk about uh, to just think about what it looks like for you to be um, to masculinity or femininity in the home six months before you get married. So use this information now as we go through it to to consider what the, the type of person that you desire to be and both to be with. And then secondly, most of you have, have, have married friends. Um, and one of our responsibilities as, as Christians are to help each other grow in holiness and godliness. That's what we've covenanted together, together with here at, at Delray Baptist Church. And so you actually might find yourself speaking into the life of, of another Christian, of a married brother or sister. Um, now, you might not have the experience, but in the end of the day, um, discipleship and speaking into one another's lives does not rely on just our experience. It relies on on God's word. It rests on his scripture. And, and so it's important to understand what the Bible says about godly marriage so that we can disciple and encourage one another. So our goal today is to look at uh, just a few passages um, on masculinity and femininity within the home 
And then we're going to look at some of the practical implications or the applications from those passages. We're not going to have time to answer every question that you might have, but I'd encourage us to, to talk to one another, talk to married couples, see what, see what, um, what this might look like in their home, see what some of the struggles that they might have within their home, uh, and use this as, as conversations throughout the week. So first, uh, item number two, biblical basis for roles in the home. If you look at letter A, um, you're going to be helped if you turn to Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. I'm going to have somebody read that in a second. This is going to be the main passage that we, that we look at um, today, one of the main passages, and it's one of the most sustained teachings that the New Testament has on, um, on the relationship between husband and wife and how they should be re- relate to one another. So could I get somebody to read um, Ephesians 5? Chapter, er, chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. And do start at, at 21, even though it seems like we might be jumping in the middle. So 21 through 33. Thank you. So let's, let's walk through a couple of, or several statements um, that, that hopefully can, will illuminate what, what the Bible's teaching here about roles in the home. So number one, so this passage is founded upon the expectation of both men and women for Christian humility. So that's why I wanted you to start there in verse, verse uh, 21, um, that, that before Paul even gets into the specific responsibilities of the husband and wife, and then later on for children and for parents and for, for servants and for, for masters, that he reminds Christians in verse 21 there that the general principle that they are submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this word submit is kind of like a voluntary yielding in love to one another. So at one level, Christians of all kind are to show this kind of submission to, to one another. And it's this kind of mutual submission that's, that's spoken often in, in the New Testament and is one of the characteristics um, that we see. So if you, if you think of uh, Philippians 2.3, it says, for example, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Or when the disciples were arguing about who was going to be you know, the top dog in, in the kingdom of heaven, um, Jesus responded by, by saying, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the heart of every Christian should be one that's marked by, by humility and voluntary submission uh, in, in one kind to, to, to others for the sake of Christ. 
Now, egalitarians are gonna, would, would take that and, and say that Paul is arguing that, um, that, that he's just talking about mutual submission alone, that he doesn't, essentially that he doesn't have in mind a, a kind of, of unique way that wives are to submit to their husbands. But that argument really fails if we look at that whole passage as a whole. So verse 21 there really stands as an overarching introduction to, to the whole section that runs all the way through uh, chapter 6, verse 9. So besides the, the instructions that he has for, for wives, um, this section also talks about children submitting to parents and talks about servants or employees submitting to their masters. So if Paul didn't intend really for, for, um, to, to, to highlight a distinct kind of submission uh, for wives to their husbands, then you, then you would have to also argue that he didn't intend um, a, a certain, to speak to a certain unique way that, that, that servants are to relate to their masters, or more, more problematic, that children are to submit to their husbands. So we just know from the entirety of Scripture that that's not true. So, so Paul is really, really using um, uh, verse 21 as an as a overall, uh, kind of providing some context for, for these particular instructions. Now within that framework, he kind of narrows down and he gives uh, particular responsibilities uh, for the wife to submit in a unique way to their husbands. So number two there, Paul calls wives to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. So verses 22 through 24, Paul is really narrowing down again on the specific roles for the, for the wife. And, and there are several things that, that I want us to notice here about uh, that submission that, that, that he's calling a wife uh, to show toward her husband. So for first, and, and really most importantly, a, a woman's submission to her husband does not in any way imply that she is inferior to him. So this is a matter of, of role and not nature. So remember even from a few weeks ago uh, when we were talking about the Trinity, that, that we know that there's a submission, a kind of submission between even within the Trinity. And there's, um, you know, even, even uh, later, later on in Scripture, in Hebrews 13 and 1 Peter 5, we know that, that there's Christians, both men and women, that are told to, resp- to, to submit to another type of Christian, to elders and, and leaders. So there is no difference or, in, or inherent in the inherent worth or dignity here. It's just the role that God is having different Christians play there. So really this is an appeal to, for, for, for the wife to actually submit to, to, to the authority that God has ordained and not some man-made um, arbitrary uh, creation there. And secondly, um, a woman is told to submit to her own husband. So Paul is not, is not here telling a woman that she needs to submit to every man, but to her own husband. So if you're not married, you do not need to submit to, to, to other men in general, other husbands and things like that. I, there's a, I remember one, um, one friend I had growing up that um, would, would tell his older sister, um, he would, he would in, in joking, he would say, if she didn't do something that he wanted, he would say, you need to submit. And she would end up slapping him, which, which I think was the appropriate uh, punishment that he, that he deserved. Um, but... Yeah, it was a skewed sense of, of that, that, that idea of submission. So, so um, yeah, Paul is not saying that, that, that women need to submit to, to, to all men in general here. Um, third, wives should submit to, their, own, to their, their, their husbands as to the Lord. So it's helpful to hear what this is not saying. So husbands, we need to listen to this. This is not saying that, that our wives need to treat us as the omnipotent kings of the universe. This is, this is really not, not going there at all. But rather it's talking about a woman's obedience to Christ and to follow his instructions to submit to earthly authorities as he has ordained. So she submits to her own husband and obeys her husband um, because, because she loves Jesus Christ. And then fourthly, that same phrase there, as to the Lord, implies 
Otherwise, first allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Uh, and therefore, Paul is not in any way expecting um, the wife to submit to her husband in a way that, might, um, in a way that he might be leading um, his, his family to violate some command of Scripture. Um, so husbands, we need to hear that, that our husband, or that our headship and our authority is not our own. It is given to us by God. And it's legitimate only when we exercise it in line with God's commands that, we, that, that, that he's revealed in Scripture. So if a husband is pushing his wife to, to do something that disobeys Scripture, she should respectfully, yeah, re- respectfully refuse and, and, and remind her husband that she is to obey God and not man. Now this can still be done in a respectful and a pure manner, um, as we'll think of a little bit later. Um, now there's, a thousand, there's thousands of different scenarios that you might have that you, that you probably have questions on that you might like to ask. Um, yeah, if, you've, if you find yourself in there, we're not going to be able to answer all those here. If you find yourself faced with this scenario, uh, I just encourage you to talk to one of the elders. We'd be happy to, to help you think through um, what that, that particularly might look like. Um, moving on, number three, wives are to submit because the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. So look there in, in verse 23, Paul is really saying that the husband is the head of the wife. That word head in, in both the Greek and in the English implies some authority. And that should really be obvious here because the text, uh, Paul is really pointing to how Christ is the head of the church. And in verse 24, the, the church submits to, to Christ. So what Paul's beginning to do here is draw that analogy between Christ and church and, and husband and wife. So just as Christ is the head of the church and the church submits to him, so God has made the husband the head of the wife and she is to submit to him. John actually uh, had a very helpful um, uh, quote last week when he, was, when he was preaching, he said in his sermon that, that you can tell a lot about what a wife thinks about Jesus by the way she relates to her husband. You can tell a lot about what a wife thinks about Jesus by the way she relates to her husband. So for husbands, we need to listen also that, that God has given us authority and we should, not, we should not take that lightly. Our response should not be like, yeah, yay, pop the champagne, I'm in charge, I get to do what I want but rather it should, it should lead us in much prayer and we should be, we should be humble. And we should ask the Lord daily for humility and for grace to die to our own selfish desires. And for single sisters, I just encourage you to wait for the right man. Um, it, it's true that there, there's no men that are, that are perfect and the more you live with a man, the more you're gonna realize he is, he is not perfect. Um, however, you should, you should desire, as, as Garrett talked about last week, you should desire to be with, with someone who you can joyfully uh, submit to and, and, and trust in, 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 in following Christ. Um, number four, husbands are to love their wives just as Christ loved the church. So turning to husbands now, this text gives us a, a number of points about how this is really supposed to work. So, so Paul talks, of, uh, Paul does, Paul's not commanding husbands here to, to be an authority over our wives, but rather to, to love them and to do so just as Christ love the church. So this is clearly how Paul is intending, ten, intending this headship to work. It's, a, it's in a self-giving, a sacrificial love which led Christ to, to die on the cross for, for his church. So really, husbands are meant to be picturing Christ toward their wives. So, so just like John mentioned last week about how wives are, how, you can, how what wives think about Jesus Christ can be re- revealed about how they're loving their husbands or submitting to their husbands. He also said that that one way people can see what husbands think about Christ is by the way they love and honor their wife. One way people can, think of, can see what husbands think about Jesus Christ 
is by the way they love and honor their wife. So this might be a whole, whole host of different things. It actually might mean for some men that they're actually going to literally have to lay down their, their life for their, for their wife. But for all men, at least at the minimum, it's going to mean that we're going to have to, to die to our selfish pride and swallow our pride um, almost on a daily basis. It's going, to be, it's going to mean actively building our wives up spiritually, um, even when the day's been hard, even when we're both exhausted. Um, and it's going to mean some, frequently subordinating your preferences um, and, and your desires for your wife. So if she likes to go to, to go to bed early and you like to stay up late, you have to think about what, what are you going to do. If you, if, if you have a specific restaurant you, you want to go to and, and she wants to go to Chipotle again, um, then, 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 then are you going to submit, submit yourself to or uh, love your wife and, and care for her in, in that? That came up just last week for us in our household. And it was Mother's Day, so she had a little bit of a pass, so it was a little bit different. Um, yeah, so there's, there's going to be some give and take as you seek to honor, honor uh, God and, and care for each other. Um, but, this, but it's sin, really, for the husband to play the headship card on this. And that's really not even what, what headship means. Um, for, for husbands, we need to look to Christ. And our fundamental role is to, is to give up ourselves for, for the good of our wife. So look for ways, uh, brothers, to, to love her, to honor her, to build her up, to care for her. So when... Again, when Paul's addressing the husband here, he doesn't even really say, say anything about headship or submission. He's, it's almost like he would rather put his hands over the, the husband's ears and when he's talking to the wife and say, the wives submit, that, that's her role. And then uncover them and say, okay, husbands, you need to love your wife. So I hope, brothers, when, the, when, when, the first, when you think about headship and authority and your role as a husband, I hope the first idea... That, that, that comes into your mind is not actually headship, is not actually my wife ought to submit to me, but rather love like Christ. That should be the first thing that pops into our minds as husbands. Number five in your handouts. <clears throat> husbands are to give of themselves for the wives' benefit. So Christ's giving of himself was for the benefit of the church. He gave himself up for, for her. And specifically there in verses 26 and 27, he gave himself up for her to make her holy and to present her to himself with splendor, without spot and wrinkle and blemish. So just as the goal of, of Christ's love was for the good of, of his church, so the, the goal of the, the husband should be to love his wife and should be the, the, the love that he shows to her should be for the good of, of her. So this doesn't mean you just do whatever, you, do whatever it takes to kind of keep her happy. Um, this is actually going much deeper than, than that. It's actually talking about growth in, in holiness. This comes by a self-sacrificial, um, a spiritual leadership on the part of, of the husband. And their marriage should be one that's marked by an atmosphere of healthy growth and, and growth in, in godliness and, and, and holiness. Um, number six, husbands are to love their wives as they love themselves. So really, Paul, in, in verse 31 there, Paul is making a deeply theological point uh, when, he's, when he's quoting all the way back to Genesis 2, uh, chapter 2. This idea of becoming one flesh really hits on the covenant that's made between man and, and woman. So when, when a man and a woman marry, they, they are, they're no longer two merely just autonomous um, individuals, but they are living in, in unity. They become, they become one flesh. That's why Paul can say in verse 28 there that when a man loves his wife, he loves himself. And when he cares for her, he is, is working for her good. And he's doing, doing good for himself as well. 
So the world is eager, again, um, is to, 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 to meld masculinity and, and femininity into this, you know, gobbledygook, uh, just puddly goop of soup, you know, that, that there's really no difference. And so they would say that, yeah, there, there's unity, that everyone's, everyone's the same there. But, but when the Bible really talks about two um, being one, it is, is actually rich in meaning, and it's, it's meant to reflect God's character. So number seven, the last one there, uh, both husband and wife should remember that their marriage speaks to the world about Christ's relationship with his church. So look there again in, in verses 31 and 32. Um, what, 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 why, does, why is Paul saying um, that, that this is a mystery for people in Moses' day? Why, why would Paul say that this is a mystery? Any ideas on that? Why would Paul say that this is a mystery? That, 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 I mean, he, gives, he kind of gives you the answer, but kind of pulling that, why would that be a mystery for, for Moses' day? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, they knew a savior was they, they knew a savior was going to come, um, but they really didn't know what that was look like, and they certainly didn't know how that savior would relate to his people, uh, the the church. So so it, that you know so so God really designed um, the institution of marriage to reflect and proclaim God's um, yeah, uh, uh, Christ, God's love and Christ's love for His church. God planned it that way from the very beginning. So he didn't just see a nice analogy in marriage and say, I think I'll use that. But he actually designed marriage with that in mind. From the very beginning, he designed marriage to function in that way. So what this means for, for, for couples is that these instructions for, for husbands and wives, are, just, are they're really not accidental. They're not defined by culture as much as culture might like to, to believe that they, they have the final say in that. But the husband's loving headship and the wife's godly submission are part of the essence of of marriage, and, and God did it this way in, in order to teach the world something about his own character and his own love, his own son's love for his, his people. So that's really amazing when you, when you stop and think about it, and it's helpful to, to keep in mind when our sinful nature really just wants to kick against the, the role that, that, that God has, has given us. So you might not like it, husbands, that, you're, that God's calling us to lay down our lives lay down our preferences, certainly for, for our wife, and, and wives you might not like that you, need to, that you need to submit to your husbands, but, but in the end of the day, it's not about us. It's about God's plan. It's about His design, and it's, in the end, it's for His glory. So that's, that's Ephesians 5, um, talking, thinking through a bunch of different topics. Um, let's turn now to 1 Peter 3, um, 1 through 7, um, and, and we'll, we'll then, then go over some, some some application here. So the first Peter three one through seven, um, what you're going to see here is that, that that Peter is 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 fully in line with everything that that, that Paul's talking about in, in Ephesians. You know, distinction in roles, not the nature. There's there's voluntary submission. There's loving and honoring our wives. But what Paul's going to or what Peter's going to do here is actually just shed a little bit more light on certain aspects of the relationship between between husbands and wives. So uh, we'll look at a couple of those aspects after we read it. So could I get somebody to read First Peter? Chapter 3 and verses 1 through 7. And these points are going to be on the back of your handout. So somebody go ahead and read. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even as some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct, conduct of their wives. They may see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, 
or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hope in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, called him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be Amen. Thank you. Yeah, so let's, let's look at a couple of these aspects, and we're going to come back to some of those, those topics about, about what does it mean about fear, if we don't fear anything, what does it mean to be yeah, called, called her ch- Sarah's children. Um, so we're going to look at some of those things. So let's, let's, talk, let's work through these aspects. Um, first, we'll, we'll narrow it in. Uh, we'll just take it in order. We'll look at some of the aspects from the wife, and then we'll look at the, at the husband. So number one there, uh, or yeah, is it number one? So godly submission is powerful, effective, beautiful and rewarding in and of itself. So in Ephesians, we consider the wife's submission. And, and again, Peter is filling these ideas out a little bit. Um, and how the beauty of a wife's quiet and gentle spirit, as, she, as, as that's worked out, as she willingly submits to and respects her husband, results in a number of goods that we see here from this text. So verses, in verses 1 and 2, it can actually win over non-believers. That's amazing. Even a non-believing husband. So this doesn't mean single, single ladies to go out and just marry a, a non-believing um, husband or to, find a, to marry an unbeliever, but, but rather when, it, when a Christian woman lives a life of purity and a life of reverence um, and submitting to her, her non-believing husband uh, for the sake of Christ, it's a powerful witness to him and to the world. In verse 4, it talks about how this spirit, this gentle and quiet spirit, is precious in God's sight. So that, that phrase there, one of Sarah's daughters, just really means that, it's, that, that it has the same character that Sarah was commended for um, there in verse 6. So whatever you, me, or even the culture um, would, would think about, um, and what we've been thinking about, all the things that we've been thinking about, the fact is that God values this spirit in a woman, in, in a wife particularly. It also grows faith in, in verse 6 there. So why would Peter mention... Um, fear here. Why, why would he say if we, if we do not fear anything? What, what would it be particularly that we're, we're fearing? So it's not talking about snakes or spiders and, stu- and things like that, but what, what do you think he means by, by, by fear here? Any ideas? Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's that's very well put. And and I mean, it, it grows faith because because as any woman will know, as any wife will know, if follow, it, following the um, submitting to a husband who is a sinner and, and is prone to many failures takes it's a fearful thing, um, and and it, it it requires stepping out in faith and, and trusting that God is. God is still faithful, and He can use even sinful um, men um, and the leadership and the roles that, that He's given them um, for, for, for good. So, um, yeah, there's that, having that kind of spirit toward, 
toward a sinner is, yeah, it certainly can be a fearful thing. So that's really why he specifically addresses that and, and gets, to the, gets to the point of that and, and just highlights that the faith that a, that a wife has when she's like, no, okay, this is God's role. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my own fears aside. I'm going to put my own selfish desires aside and say, I'm going to, instead, I'm going I'm to obey God in this. And, I'm gonna, and, and, it, and that just requires faith. So, yeah. Uh, go ahead. really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so let me add a word to single sisters here particularly. So um, single sisters, be striving for for this kind of, of beauty, the, the gentle, the quiet spirit, more than you're striving for physical beauty. And I can even say that for, for, for married married women as well, but particularly for single women. Um, I mean, it, that's not to say that you can't that you can't value physical beauty at all. It's not saying that you can't adorn yourself with braiding of hair and, and jewelry or clothing. But um, it, what it's really getting at is 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 that we should we should value this kind of beauty uh, much more. This beauty more. Uh, this gentle and quiet spirit. Which um, yeah, when we when you talk about the external beauty, how that fades away. This gentle and quiet spirit is just magnified. As, as, as women get older, and, and you just see older women that have this gentle and quiet spirit, that is, so, that, is so, that is such a beautiful thing. Even though, as the world may say, that external beauty might have faded away, somebody that has, a lady that still has that gentle and quiet spirit, it, it, is, it is such a beautiful thing. And men, um, pray that you would be attracted to this kind of a beauty more than you are that physical beauty. Because again, that physical beauty is going to fade away. But that gentle and quiet spirit is so much more beautiful. Proverbs actually, uh, yeah, oh, uh, hold on for a second. Proverbs actually talks about, about two, different, two different Proverbs that is really helpful. One is that a quarrelsome wife is like a continual dripping of rain on a rainy day. So we've had a lot of rain recently. A quarrelsome wife is like a continual dripping, a drip, drip, dripping of rain on a rainy day. It also says that, uh, Proverbs also has that a, um, it would be better for a husband to live on the corner of a housetop than with a nagging wife. Yes. That proverb is actually repeated twice, so I think it's really important. <laughs> so there's, a, there's, there's only a handful of Proverbs that are repeated twice. That's one of them. So, uh, yeah, so that's really important. Yeah, what were you I was just going to ask if you could kind of maybe define a little bit of what he means by a gentle and quiet spirit, because there's lots of different personalities. So you have people sure. who are extroverted, introverted. So when, when I hear gentle and quiet, I think of like someone who's just introverted. And, yeah. But I don't think that's what, you know, no. it's made us all different, so that doesn't make sense. Yeah, and we're, we're going to touch on that a little bit, a little bit later on, on what, what, what is the strengths, that, different strengths that men and women and how that actually plays out in, in the home. Um, but re- he's talking about that, that, that spirit of, of humility. He's talking about one that's, um, that, that's in, living in submission to her, to her husband and one that, that is saying, um, yeah, that is putting putting her own interests aside um, and, and desiring to be to be a helper. Specifically, when we talk about roles in the home here, um, 
you know, that is, that is certainly somebody that's characteristic of a Christian that would be prayerful, um, that, is, that is caring and loving for others. And yeah, I mean, a lot of those topics. I mean, there's, there's a bunch more that I think we could list. And there's some, of, some that I think we'll, we'll flush out here a little bit later. Anyone else want to add anything to that? Yeah. Yielded. Yeah. Yielded is God's sovereignty. Trusting that 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 God's going to be sovereign and and, and, and obeying Him. Yeah. 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 It's certainly going to be. Yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna turn to husbands now. So we're gonna focus some attention on the husbands now. Uh, take some attention off the ladies. Um, so number two there that. Godly leadership involves a man's deliberate thoughtfulness toward and joyful honoring of his wife. So again, same context of love that we thought in Ephesians, but, but again, Peter's filling this idea out in a couple of different ways. So first, Peter's saying that, that husbands should live with their wives in an understanding way. So this means that the husband should, should have knowledge and understanding of his, of his wife. He should spend time considering his wife, thinking about her, studying her, learning about her, what makes her tick. What are her desires and fears and frustrations? What are her likes and dislikes? What makes her feel loved and cared for? What are her strengths and how can you capitalize on those? What are her weaknesses and, and how can you help her with those? So brothers, those are the kinds of questions we should be asking ourselves regularly, all the time. And the thing is that we're never going to get to the point where we fully understand our wives. Um, and so this being deliberately thoughtful toward our wife is, is really a lifelong calling for, for that of the husband. And Second Peter uh, says, not Second Peter, but secondly, Peter says that the husband should do this, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life. So Peter's not specifying exactly what way he's thinking of, of the woman as the weaker partner. Some options that are out there um, that, that I've seen in commentaries are that he might have in mind actually physical weakness. Some of it might be a relative authority within the marriage. Some of it might also be a, a, a type of emotional sensitivity among women that while that could be considered a strength in many cases, it could leave the wife um, more likely to being vulnerable and deeply hurt in, in, in conflict with, with marriage. And that's not to say that, that all of those would be true for all women in, in, in every marriage. Clearly, there's, there's some women that are going to be stronger than men in, in, different, in different areas in a number of ways. So whatever Paul is really meaning by this phrase and however that applies to the particular situation within your marriage, the point is that a husband should never take advantage of anything he perceives as weakness in his wife. A husband should never take advantage of anything he perceives as weakness in his wife. So on the contrary, he should treat his wife with high honor and high care, using his strengths and God-given authority for her good. And the reason is that number three there, a husband should do this because his wife is a fellow heir with him of God's promises. So really just simply, this, this means that a wife is in no way less than her husband in the kingdom of, of God, and, and that all of God's promises in Christ are equally hers as well. So I know that was a lot uh, to cover, but if you were here over the last two weeks, that's because John and Garrett actually punted a lot to me. Garrett especially punted a lot to me last week, so that's why that took so long. Um, <laughs> what I want us to do in the remaining 20 minutes that we have is, uh, I'm sure there's a couple of questions you might have of how this practically fills out. 
what I want to do is just step through a couple of practical um, implications or applications for this. And then if we have time in the end, we'll try to cover any other questions that you, that you might have. So um, look at uh, point number three there, application. Uh, we'll just step through some of the questions that frequently come up. Um, the first one's not really a question, but uh, more a statement. Husband and wife have distinct God-given main roles within the family, man as provider and protector, and woman as helper and mother. So what I just said is an enormously controversial statement uh, in, today's, in today's culture. Um, yet it's very clear in the Bible. Even from the first few chapters um, of, of, of in Genesis, uh, you see that Adam, after Adam and Eve sin, um, God described what effects that sin would have on on both man and woman respectively. He just didn't say the same thing to both of them equally. Instead, he specifically addresses unique callings um, and, and the role that he originally gave them and, and how that sin affected that. So he, he talks to the women, he says that, that, that her sin will result in pain during childbirth and, and would result in, result in conflict between her and her husband. So in other words, he's speaking to the unique, um, what is unique to her about her roles as wife and mother. And to the, to the man, he says that he's going to have difficulties, uh, Adam's going to have difficulties in work caring for creation and providing for his family. The husband then should recognize his role as primary breadwinner and, and assume that role willingly and responsibly. And similarly, a woman should recognize her primary role as helper to her husband and caregiver for her children if she has, if she has them and organize her life around, around those roles. So the logical question then would be, part B, what about a wife and mother working outside the home? Could I get somebody to read, to turn to Titus 2, 3 through 5, and then somebody else uh, flip over to Proverbs 31, and we'll look at just two quick texts. So somebody look at Proverbs 2, chapter, th er, chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, and then somebody else flip over to Proverbs 31. Can I get someone to read um, Titus 2, verses 3 through 5? Yeah, thank you. So some Christians have interpreted that, that verse 5 there, working at home, to mean that, that, a, that a wife could not work outside the home and that any of that is, it would be inappropriate. But the, but the fact is that the, the wife should primarily, the fact that the wife should be primarily caring for her home does not mean that, that she should never be working outside the home. The point of the passage, and which is consistent with all of, of Scripture, is that a wife should take her primary God-given responsibility to be a diligent homemaker and provide a a godly and a nurturing Christian environment for, for her family, regardless of whatever else she does and before she focuses on, on other pursuits. So let's look at Proverbs 31, uh, verses 16 through 24, um, uh, practically as an example. So Proverbs 31, verses 16 <coughs> to 24.
Uh, for, through uh, 24. Thank you. Yeah, so just in that, in that passage, we see that the woman is, is depicted as obviously have, have other responsibilities that fall outside of the immediate contours of, of the home. She's planting, she's planting fields. She's selling land. She's buying. She's planting vineyards. She's starting textile business. I mean, there's an energy that is centered on her home, uh, and she's at peace with that. But a lot of these things are outside, outside of the home. Um, but all of that is done with... with is done in submission to and in the end of caring for her family. So she's not embarking on these things to, to make a name for herself or to, on a quest to find herself, but she does it to serve her family. Um, and, and, she's, and, and it's, it's in, in that end from her family, specifically from her husband there, um, that, she, that she receives praise there in verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. So here's some of the questions to consider when, when thinking about the wife working outside the home. So what, first of all, what, what are the wife's motivations for doing this? Are they selfish? Are they for, are they for money? Or is it to, you know, to find her, some identity in the work? Or is it actually for the good of the family? Husbands, you need to ask yourself that same question. So do you want your wife to work because it makes it easier on you? You don't have to work as hard or you can slack off a little bit or it's just, you know, there's more money to go around and it's more comfortable for you and you're less relying on, on trusting God or something like that. So you need to, you need to, to ask yourself that same question as well. Um, the second question, would, would, these, would this actually be beneficial to, to her families? Is it, is it going to aid the husband in, in his calling and helping helping her care for, for her children? Or is it really harmful to that priority? And then more broadly, does, it, does that enterprise really enhance and facilitate and showcase her biblical femininity, um, or does it undermine and suppress it? Garrett gave a good example last week about uh, a, a female general that he knew that, that was, was, even though she was in a position of, of authority over, over many men, she was still actively helping in, in helping those men um, take their responsibilities for, for leadership in, in certain cases. So it, can it enhance and facilitate her <laughs> biblical femininity? Also keep in mind that a decision to, to work outside the home is not a unilateral one. It's not just that a wife should make or her husband should really make, but it's, it's one that should be made together under his leadership. So that's part, part C or letter C. How should husbands and wives make decisions? So there's a delicate balance, I think, between, yeah, with, with making consequential decisions. So on one hand, as John talked about two weeks ago, the, the husband is primarily responsible for the decision, and he's, he's charged with, with maintaining leadership in that situation, not passively giving it over to his wife, or on the other hand, not uh, being a heavy-handed dictator and just ruling um, whatever, whatever thing's going to happen, um, but rather exercising headship as God has given him. And on the other hand, he needs to remember that he is to lead by serving. So his wife is a fellow heir with him um, of, of all of God's promises, and she has different strengths than, 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 than he does. So because of that, a, a husband should honor his wife, respecting her views and values and opinions and, and feelings on the issue at hand. So ideally, a husband and wife would, would come to a uh, decision that's satisfying to both, that both are convinced after much discussion and prayer um, that, that, that would, that's what God would have them do. And we realize we live in a fallen world, so that very rarely is going to happen, I think. Um, there's there's uh, so many situations where that's not going to happen. Um, and when husbands 
and wives don't agree, it's still the husband's responsibility to lead and to make that decision, though he might actually choose uh, the, the, the option that, is, that his wife has. Um, that's what it looks like to live with your wife in an understanding, wife, uh, uh, understanding way. And wives should um, prayerfully seek to understand that decision and submit to it, whether or not she fully comes to uh, understand it or, or agree with it in the end. Now, if that decision goes south, if it goes, if it goes wrong, um, when it goes south, <laughs> especially if the husband just charges ahead, when it goes south, uh, the husband is still responsible for, for that decision. He should not turn to his wife and blame his wife as, as Adam did to, to Eve. And also for wives, if it doesn't work out, don't be that continual dripping on a rainy day that we thought about on Proverbs that, that continually reminds the husband that he failed. So really, both of those mentalities, just those behaviors reveal that neither one of you were really submitting to God's own design and, and the roles that he's, he's given us in the first place. All right, letter D. How should husband and wife care for and discipline their children? So again, as we've talked about, the husband is responsible for, for all that goes in, on in the home, including the instruction and the oversight of, of his children. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers bring up children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So with that ultimate responsibility, um, Scripture does present some of the immediate day-to-day management of the household within the purview of, of the wife. So 1 Timothy 5.14 talks about how wives are to manage their, their homes. And the husband should recognize this and give her space to, to carry that out under his leadership. But at the same time, wives need to also understand that, that, that her management of the household should be con- conducted under the submission of the husband's leadership. So practically, the way that this is going to look out is it, uh, play out is that um, moms are most often going to be spending the time at, at home with the kids. Um, they're going to be involved with the schooling and, and after-school activities. Um, she's going to have to be dis- disciplining her children when, when her husband's not present. But what this means for, for fathers is that he should teach his children to respect and to honor um, their mother when, when he is gone. There's one author that, that I don't have the quote who, who, who directly mentioned it, but he wrote that, uh, that the retribution from dad should never be so swift and sure as when a child shows disrespect to his mother. Well, when a husband is around, he should not be passive in his instruction either. Um, he should not be passive in his, his discipline of his children. He should not just get involved, but he actually needs to take the lead. So correctively disciplining his children when that's called for and, and taking the lead in things like family worship and, and, and instruction. So in our home, Jill is often the one who, who will highlight, just because she's home with the kids, she'll be able to highlight when I come home some of the, some of the issues that a particular child might be facing. But then it's, it's my responsibility to give some spiritual um, oversight and, and guidance and leadership um, for, that, for that particular kid and, and, and for Jill. Of course, listening and regularly accepting what, what her input and feedback is on those things. So, so many times, I'm sure you have many other questions, but we'll, we'll go through two more questions and then we'll, we'll pause if we have more time. So letter E, how should husband and wife allocate other duties and responsibilities? So again, according to uh, Piper and Grudem uh, in their book, they say the many duties and responsibilities of managing a household should be allocated in such a way that the, that the feminine and masculine proclivities or inclinations come to their natural expression and the strengths and weaknesses of each partner recognized. Really, the, the reality is that, that there are many things in the daily affairs of, of a household that, that the scripture just, the Bible doesn't talk to, whether it's masculine or, or feminine. 
So there can be a lot of freedom and variation in how, in how that works within a marriage. So, so the, the wife may end up paying the bills, but the husband is still responsible for, for that in some sense. Um, husbands could actually cook if they wanted to. In my house, we would, we would certainly die if that was the case. Or we'd be uh, eating macaroni and cheese for you know, weeks, weeks on, on, on end. So, so it's, there, there's freedom in, in how that works out. And again, if you have questions on that, we would, the elders would be happy, happy to talk about that. Garrett loves talking about roles in the home, so you can talk with him about that. Fun. <laughs> That's a fun. Um, lastly, the last one we'll look at is uh, letter F. How should single men and women think about biblical masculinity and femininity in the home? So again, most, as I mentioned in the very beginning, most of the passages that we've been talking about um, have been have been involved, have, have, have centered around the context of the marriage and, and often kids. Um, now, that said, there, there are some characteristics of, of masculinity and femininity that tr- really transcend um, the context. Uh, so it's the task of the single men and the single woman to, to conduct themselves and manage their own households in, in ways that can build and nurture these, these characteristics even now. So for single brothers, um, one way you can do this is to fight against that perpetual living as a teenager uh, or living perpetually as a dorm room student. So whether you're alone or whether you live with a, bo- a group of guys, you can conduct yourselves in ways that foster responsibility and dis- discipline and being self-controlled, even John, as uh, John thought about last week from Titus 2 in his sermon. Uh, you can manage your household well. That's, that's a qualification of elders, 1 Timothy 3.4. Um, so you can do the finances and cook and have cleanliness in your home. You can show dis- uh, discipline in how you spend your own time. Have purity in, in your use of, of computer and other media. Open your homes to others and make it a place where others are not scared at the prospects of coming to your house and scared about what they might actually find. Be a good and a generous neighbor in your, in your building, in your, in your neighborhood. All of those things really exhibit those attributes and those characteristics of responsibility, of leadership, and caring for others. And they're going to help train you um, even now for, for the, those responsibi- responsibilities, if Lord willing, one day he gives you uh, a household to, to run and to manage. Uh, and we obviously believe that, that you can be a single man and serve as an elder here at Delray Baptist Church. So, so managing your household well is one of those things that a single man, man must be able to do. So turning to single sisters, so some of the things you can do is cultivate the helping and nurturing traits of biblical femininity. Be busy at home rather than just focusing all your energies on your work or outside um, pursuits. You can practice hospitality to host group meals within a home or or prepare meals for others in the congregation. So just recently, over the past week, Jill and I were both blessed by single ladies, um, two different single ladies that, that, made, single meal, uh, that made meals for, for us. And they were good. It was great. So it was, it was such a blessing and encouragement to, to us as a, as a family. You learn how to manage your household well, being deliberate about things like decorating and learning to make home repairs, meal planning, managing your finances, managing your time, being careful with your words and keeping gossip out of your homes. Um, practice caring for your housemates or for other children in other homes um, uh, that, that they, they, in this congregation. And really just pursuing those competencies of a Proverbs 31 woman. Now you'll notice that these lists might uh, actually overlap a little bit. Um, and that's really because I'm talking to, uh, to single people who do not, do not, at least for the time being, have the complement of of, of, a, of a spouse. And so they have to think about different things in their home that might one day be, be handled by, by a husband or a, or a wife. And also for, for, for single folks, you just don't know what kind of 
husband or wife the Lord may bless you with one day. And so um, you may not know what ways you need to, you're actually going to need to step up and compliment him. So practicing those things right now um, are just are so useful and helpful in, in, in um, yeah, growing you to that end. Well, in closing, I just want us to, to remember that it's possible for some of those same activities to be uh, pursued even with, even with a masculine sense of, of responsibility or with a feminine disposition to, to help and to nurture. So whether, whether you're singled or whether you're married, biblical masculinity and femininity are very much about the mindset and the motivations of our heart, uh, not just the outward conduct that we see. So that really covers roles in the home. Um, next week, I didn't punt a whole lot to, to Eric, uh, but next week he's going to be talking about roles within the church. Um, so I, we have just a couple of minutes. Um, to, to, if there's any questions or comments um, on, on, ro- on any of the passages that we've talked about or roles within the home. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, certainly, certainly no. Um, um, it, it would, it's there's so many things going through my mind right now. But it would be, it would be, it it would be damaging to the husband to just have a wife who passes over that sin. Uh, we need to be called out on sin um, regularly um, and and pointed the 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 error of our way. So so certainly you can be praying for your husband. I think the first step would be praying for your husband, praying that we would have a, he would have a humility to receive um, what you're saying. Um, and and come come at and approach him in a in a pure and, and, and loving manner in a in a way that that, that shows humility uh, as you come to him not not saying you know snapping the fingers and saying oh you did this and let me let me point out all the sin that you have um, and it, but but rather just coming in humility and and, and, and confronting him um, yeah that, that can be done in a in a way that that's that's humble and in a way that that is that is reverent toward Toward, toward, toward Christ and, and toward God, um, yeah. And I think just be praying for him. And I think talk with other single, single women as well. Or, or, or actually talk to other married women, older saints who might, who might have have walked through that a little bit, and and see if they have other recommendations. And Garrett's raising his hand because I think he's got a recommendation. Yeah, my only encouragement would be like creating an atmosphere in your relationship where it's normal for you guys to be confessing sin. struggles just as a normal thing so it's not just every time there's something that's going wrong mm-hmm. when you're bringing stuff up but it's kind of a normal part of your relationship whether that be you know part of the regular date night or a regular time you're sitting down and talking hey how are things going are there, are there any things that you're struggling with right now are there any things that you're seeing in me that I need help on making that a regular conversation now it'll be bumpy at first and we haven't been doing this but Yeah, yeah, and and what can be hard is that if the if the husband's not leading it that way right now, I mean, you can still approach and and I would encourage do do that now before there's an issue at hand. So so the sooner you do that, like when there's when there's relative peace at home, and just say, hey, can we go out for a date night and and talk about. Um, 
things that we're that we might be struggling with, or different things that we could we could see each other, different strengths that we see each other, different weaknesses that we see, and how how can we help each other grow? Doing that before there's a specific issue that overhangs uh, would would certainly be helpful. Yeah. Any other questions or comments? We probably have time for one more, and then and then we'll break. None. I was either explicitly clear or confusing as anything. So. Or digesting. Or you're digesting, yeah, just meditating. Yeah. So what would you say about husbands who stay home and take care of home while the wife is actually working and Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say in Scripture, I don't, we just don't see that. I think there's, there's certain instances, um, and this is why I think you just talk with elders. Um, th there might be certain cases where that, I mean, either disabilities or something like that, um, that, that might require the husband to be, to be at home. He may not be, but there's still ways that the husband can take in, in helping protect and care for and provide and, and think through um, providing for his family, um, you know, with either phone calls or emails or you know, a, just a number of different ways of how he can still take that leadership. Um, I think just in the normal pattern of scripture, we just, we just yeah, we don't see that as a, as a, regular, a regular pattern. So um, yeah, I'd encourage you to certainly talk with one of the elders if, if that's that's where you kind of see your leader, your, see that your marriage going. Um, I think the elders would be happy to, to think through that. And, and really what, what's, what we would be talking about are what are, what are the motivations behind that? Is it, is it, is it seriously because there's, there's some disability where a husband can't work, work at home? Or is there just, is there a laziness or something like that that's going on in the husband's heart? Or is there just a, you know, I'd rather stay home because I don't, I don't want that responsibility to work. I want to kick against you know, God's design. And I just, I don't want to think about work. I don't want that pressure. Um, so I'd rather stay home. That, those, those, that, yeah, that would be sin. And I think we'd, we'd have to, yeah, we'd be happy to talk with, talk with uh, that couple about that. Yeah. Any also, other comments? Sometimes she makes more money. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be, that, that's a tricky one even to think about. So, so there's, there's, yes, it, it, does she make more money? Is she just able to make more money than, 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 than a husband is? And that's, again, something we need to think through. So um, again, there's, I mean, it's, there's, there's, some, there's some freedom in, in marriage, but um, is the husband just like, yeah, I think I'd rather more comfortable lifestyle and make more money by having her work and me stay at home than me trying to find. So, so there, there's certainly, there, there, again, it, there's a heart posture behind that of is, is it something where the husband is saying, I'd rather to live more comfortably than to obey God's design in, in that. So that's, that's a question that we would need to be asking. So great. Thank you guys for that. Um, Eric, can I get you to pray for us? And then we'll go ahead and, 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 and be finished. Bless us as we seek to honor you. We pray now that you bless us as we